0: Welcome to Lamniforms Radio, a podcast where I interview musicians and artists about their latest projects. My name is Ian Corey, and I am the songwriter in the band Lamniforms. I love learning about an artist's process, their intentions, and who they are as people. Today I'm joined by Damon harjo Rogo of Infinity Shroud an instrumental trio with roots in the chiptune scene of the late 2000s that have since evolved to incorporate post-rock, heavy metal, and cutting-edge electronic production. Last Friday, Infinity Shred released EP2, Recovery, through Three Dot Recordings. I was psyched to have Damon on the podcast to talk about this latest EP, as well as the band's sci-fi aesthetic, touring with bands like Periphery and Horse the Band, skateboarding and much much more. Thank you for listening. So I'm assuming that the were you were you upstate working on that secret project that you were telling me about earlier? <laughs>
1: yeah, I was upstate. So um the original person the first person I ever started making like serious music with my friend George Stroud, we had a band called Starscream and we're kind of reviving the idea of just working together because we've always just enjoyed how laid back one another are working together. So I just spent the last week repainting my bass and uh, yeah, I'll, sh- I'll show you that and uh, working on some new music.
0: Nice. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's pretty very, excited about this thing. Very pretty blue color for those listening on audio. <laughs> uh, so was that your first instrument? Did you start out as a bassist?
1: <laughs> yeah, I was a bassist before anything else. Um, I had a joke band in sixth grade called Plastic Mango Uh, that was a name suggestion from my math teacher and then in seventh grade um another kid came to our school named soren and he just like he really wanted to be a rocker and my other friends and i were just like well we like playing music sure but i think in a way that kind of ruined wanting to play bass for a long time for me because i was just like i don't really want to be in like a straight up rock band after like that experience Uh
0: like what kind of rock music are we talking about is this like the classic like seventh grade classic rock phase kind of thing. Not yeah. quite classic rock,
1: but you know, like definitely he was just like, Kurt Cobain is so cool. And like, I want to, I want to be cool and remembered. Uh, and, <laughs> and we just, yeah, it didn't last, <laughs> but I wanted to keep making music, but I, because I never really stuck with playing anything electronic music became more appealing. Cause I was just like, I have melody ideas, but I have terrible like dexterity so, I can make something do it for me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask, like, what is the on ramp for getting into that sort of stuff? Because I remember when we were both coming up and like playing shows in the New York scene, like, I had never seen anything <laughs> like what you were doing. And I, I had no idea how you even, like, how one would f- <laughs> be inspired to do something like that. So, like, yeah. why don't you start screwing around with that?
1: Cool. Um, so, definitely, I mean, I had the pretty classic, like people, the pretty classic millennial first experience of making electronic music was all of a sudden your computer had GarageBand. And I was just like, this is great. Like, I can just play on the keyboard. But then I started, um, through skateboarding, I met the guys in Onamanaguchi because one of my closest friends, Dave Feldman, grew up in the same town as them. Um, He was my skate friend. Um, And I started going to their shows and I was just like, wait, so they're doing this on like actual 8 bit hardware? Um, I started going to those shows and just, like, doing my research on where I could get a copy of, like, that software for myself and ended up choosing LSDJ, which is a program that runs natively on the Game Boy. And the biggest appeal for that to me was just, like, oh, I can, like just on my lunch breaks at school and on my walk to and from school, I can just like be working on songs.
0: Were you already like listening to other electronic music? Like what was it just the technological side of it that was appealing to you? Or were, did you have like an interest in the that sort of style to begin with?
1: I would actually say I was borderline one of those kid I wasn't a classic rock kid, but I was borderline one of those kids who was like, Not into electronic music, because I was like, I don't understand what they're doing, all that, like, had that annoying phase. And then I went to this one show that was, um, it was Trail of Dead headlining, but The Octopus Project opened. And The Octopus Project kind of just changed my life that night, just, like, blew my mind. I was like, oh, like, this is what it can be this is what it's meant to be like to get into, like to blend all these things I'm potentially interested in together. Um, and that I think just opened the doors for me, just like having electronic music appreciation in general.
0: And so when did you start up Starscream then? How long was it from like the, you know, walking to and from schools working on your Game Boy to like <laughs> actually starting a band with it?
1: It was, they kind of went hand in hand. George and I had just like, he had his drum kit. Um, I, didn't want to play bass, but he knew I had one. And but then he, we both really loved Lightning Bolt, so we were like, "Let's do something two piece, just like something making noise and drums." Mm-hmm. Um, so we bought LSDJ and Game Boys together, like at the same time, and just start like that was basically how it started. We both just wanted to mess around with that program, and we we're just like, "Let's do a band," I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that was um, that was junior year of high school.
0: Did you think of yourself as like writing? electronic music or like writing rock tunes with electronic instruments? Because it, it seemed like you guys were kind of like a dance band a bit, like (laughs) people, you know, would definitely like move around a lot at your shows, but it's not like capital E electronic music.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That's a good way to put it. I think, I think what happened is we tricked a lot of people, including ourselves about what we were doing. Um, At the beginning, when we started, it was kind of just like the height of, Americans getting into, like, electronic music, like, Justice was blowing up over here, Mm -hmm. and, um, I think it was just, like, if you were doing anything remotely electronic, it was hard to escape that influence, and we just, like, wanted to have a good time with it. Um, the first Starscream, like, show that wasn't really a show was just, like, no drums, just us with Game Boys at a house party, and, like, just took over (laughs) as, like, a DJ set for a second on the Game Boys, um, but, By the time we put out, like, the first serious release, um, Future and It Doesn't Work, I think we had kind of discovered that we weren't necessarily making rock music, but the structures and, like, songwriting influences of all the rock bands we loved were way more of what um, we were putting into it than uh, what we were influenced by dance music was.
0: Was there, like, because I I definitely still had a bit of, like, the rockist stick up my ass about a lot of this (laughs) stuff, like during that era so i am not too familiar with what the scene was like for what you were doing like were there mm-hmm. a lot of other people making similar stuff i know there's like the the chip tune mm-hmm. kind of style that i guess you guys sort of fit into but like mm-hmm. was it like a, a like a healthy scene or other like other people making yeah. similar stuff this
1: the scene it's it's amazing to look back on it because just by like you basically can't get into making you can get into listening to 8-bit music without being like a pure nerd but if you are making it like you have crossed that nerd boundary like (laughs) and everyone who does that like knows that but it was also amazing because like I look back on like what I thought of as just like going out to shows like most of my friends and I did in high school but most of them were going to just like you know rock concerts and everything but a lot of the ones I went to were just like basement shows that would go to like 2am of just like people doing dance music sets purely from a Game Boy. Oh, right. Um, so when I look back on it, I was like, Oh, I was like going out to like parties and I was like too young and my mom was probably not happy that I was getting <laughs> home so late. Um, but the other thing was just like, because it was kind of just like this gentle nerdy subculture, like whenever I was out late, like they were a bit older than me, but they were like so accommodating and made sure I was okay all the time. And just mm-hmm. like, Yeah. It was very nurturing scene.
0: Right. I mean I imagine it's probably like not to cast dispersions on other genres of electronic music, but probably not as like hard of a partying scene as like <laughs> yeah. you know, the French house stuff or anything like no,
1: that. No, no. There there certainly weren't drugs. I mean every scene has an alcoholic, but this one, you know, no one was no one was snorting lines like next to me off of a Game Boy, right? Like <laughs>
0: <laughs> And, and so, did, were you guys like touring too? Like, how quickly did it? it yeah, seemed like you so, caught on pretty fast. So,
1: yeah, Starscream in general was just kind of this whirlwind experience. Um, where you know, we started in high school, we had the dance music phase, but by the time we're putting out like the feature and it doesn't work, the album that we like the EP that we were taking a little more seriously, um, just things just started happening probably like faster than I would ever expect to happen to anything I would start to do now. Mm. Um, I got one of the biggest changes in my life was definitely this email I got from this guy in Quebec City, uh, Sam Murdoch. He runs a really cool label called P572, and he just invited us up. He was just like, there's like this gaming festival thing happening that I can get you money for to play, but I really just want you guys to come up here and play like house shows and a venue show. So right after high school, we drove... Well, George's sister drove us up to Canada because neither of us had our licenses. Um, So we were in his parents' minivan with his sister driving us up to Canada, Um, went to go do these shows. And I just remember um, we had made these mini-CDs of the first EP and Sam looking at it and just saying, like, this looks like you asked your mom to make it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And just being like, nothing can be good if the first step isn't perfect right like it only gets worse from there Mm -hmm. like you only lose more vision as it goes through more translations you know whether that be like from digital to print whatever and that's just stuck with me forever about like how whenever I'm turning something into the physical now I'm always just so focused like okay it really needs to be what I want it to be because anything that I think is slightly off is going to just get that much worse right so that was a huge moment but right after that um we just, like, had become close friends with Anamonaguchi, and we were on about a two-, three-week tour with them through the South, back up to the Midwest. Again, couldn't mm-hmm. drive. Um, George and I took a Greyhound down to Ver- Richmond, Virginia for the first show of that tour. God, I'll just never forget. There was a guy, like, eating a KFC bucket in the back and, like, sponge-bathing himself in the <laughs> bus and just, like, <laughs> kept lighting up cigarettes, and the bus driver was like, please stop. Um, oh, my God. But... My friend Clay, who lived in Kentucky, like, not super close, but he was just, like, he was an internet friend that I made through Zanga. He was just like, we were just like, if you come and drive us on this tour, like, we'll give you part of our money and then we get to just hang out for a week. So he drove to Richmond, picked us up, and just drove us the rest of the tour.
0: Wow. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. So that was super fun. So my first tours were all just, like, me not knowing how to drive and just being like, I have my Game Boy. Is that fine?
0: (laughs) I'm glad you brought up the internet side of things. Do you feel like that is part of the reason why things kind of like took off so quickly? Was like this a style of music that had like a strong online following?
1: Yeah, I think it was the perfect time for that. It was before everyone called things social media. And, you know, it's just like, like even at that time, MySpace, which was like relatively like early for what we think of as social media now was easier to build community on Mm -hmm. um and we were definitely on this website called 8-bit collective quite a lot which was a forum website but the front page was all just like the last 20 songs that had been like uploaded and posted by people who were using it um so you're just constantly getting feedback and stuff like that from other people Uh, just you know very helpful constructive feedback for the most part unless someone was being really rude but yeah there was just like really much easier access to building reciprocal community on the internet in mm-hmm. 2009.
0: <laughs> right. And that sort of gives you like a network to, that you can translate into the physical world much easier yep. because that exactly. Is, you, know, at, yeah. like, you wouldn't have been able to go to another city without having yeah. that friend from the internet.
1: Yeah. Because you know what? I left one bit of travel from that first summer after high school. So the first tours I told you about, Um, a minute ago, we're both after senior year of high school. But you know, like all these friends we made from Ape Music on the internet, like all of a sudden, I have a friend in London, I have a friend in Budapest, like just all these places all over the world. We had also flown out um, our friend Gwem. He, uh, I admire him so much. He is, um, he wrote software for writing music on the um, Atari ST, which was the Atari home computer. And um, he was throwing a giant 30th birthday party for himself and he was just like if you guys can get out to london like i want you to play it and we were just like sure let's do it like so i think george and i just like convinced our parents like this is our like high school graduation present like let's get flights to london and let Mm -hmm. us go to this party it was us Nullsleep, and then i don't know if you know this 80s metal band witch fiend but he got them back together to come play that party so (laughs) so like it was just um It was a small club that was like a converted abandoned part of a tube station, and that was the night. It was like all of Gwen's friends, his thirtieth birthday party, and us, and just like this eighties metal band (laughs) who had gotten back together.
0: It's funny that that actually like makes more sense considering the style that you've moved into. Totally. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's
1: actually, I I feel like we made a lot of jokes throughout the year before it actually happened about like wanting to do more metal stuff alongside what we're doing but Gwem was one of the most prescient people about our music he was like you always were like you just weren't leaning into those sounds but he was like a lot of what you wrote That's what it wanted to sound like. But you just like, you know, there wasn't a guitar. So a lot of people didn't understand that it was being so influenced by those things.
0: Totally. Was that like something that you were like listening to at the time? Like what what were your influences for the early and then I guess like the mid period. Oh, definitely.
1: Um, Early on. So in high school, I'd say definitely like the first two Iron Maiden albums were huge for me, Um, along with uh, the fucking champs. They were uh-huh. one of my favorite bands in high school.
0: Wow. I and, completely <laughs> forgot about that band. I feel like did, they've been they, like wiped off the map. Like what happened well, to dude, them?
1: One of, the, one of the funniest things just about that whole time, like coming together was the fucking champs. When justice put out their second album, they did a remix of one of the songs that was just like a fucking champ style cover of mm-hmm. uh, civilization. Yeah. Just all, all the worlds colliding. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what happened to them. I don't even know if they have other bands or anything, but they were, such a big influence for me i used to wear their shirt to high school and put a piece of tape over the fuck (laughs) and just write like friend on it or something so like my teachers wouldn't yell at me
0: oh my god (laughs) but you were also like a like a post-rock person too
1: yeah definitely that actually takes us back to the zanga thing i mentioned where you know in sixth grade i who was big um the Deftones' self-titled third album had just come out. Third, fourth album,
0: the uh, self-titled the fourth one. one. Yeah, fourth
1: one. Yeah, that had just come out. So I was big on that. I was big on like Weezer, and other stuff like that that was around at that time. And then my one friend Garrett I made, who I've actually only met in person once in North Carolina, had sent me an "Explosions in the Sky" song, <laughs> just like over AIM chat, and <laughs> and that just like ruined me in the best way possible where i was just like oh like i like this now Mm -hmm. so i definitely had basically the rest of high school was just like explosions rather the rest of middle school was explosions in the sky mono and uh this band by the end of tonight a lot of them like all the stuff from temporary residents i just like that was basically when i discovered how to find new music on my own other than just being like uh, given suggestions. I was just like, well, this band's on this label. All the other bands on that label must be cool too. Right. And just started like mail ordering CDs from them.
0: <laughs> so when did, when did you start bringing other instruments into the setup? Like, cause yeah. the, at some point you move beyond just the, the Game Boy and drums into something a bit more expansive. Yeah.
1: The last Starscream album basically coincided time-wise with when our friend Matt Feldman, Matt FX was The music supervisor for the MTV version of Skins. Mm -hmm. So he had brought us on to do that show. We were like the band that all the kids in the show go see in the last episode while there's all this drama unfolding. But basically, like because we had access to such a nice studio through doing the songs we had to do for that show, um, we just wanted to go back to that same studio and we're just like, we need to just like get as much in here as possible my friend Nate, who is now in Infinity Shred with me, I won't say forced his way into playing with us, but definitely was just like, you guys should have guitar. And I was like, I never thought about it, but cool. Like, You can come do that. Um, Like definitely wasn't like us actively seeking a guitarist. It was just like Nate actually, Nate was a post rock head also, but was mainly an electronic music producer. Didn't even really play that much guitar, but was just like, this would sound good on it. So I'm going to get better at guitar (laughs) so I can do it in this band Um, so it's kind of my fault I guess that he's like a guitarist now but I think he enjoys it (laughs) Um, so that would have been around 2010 Mm -hmm. yeah that's probably when we started expanding the sound but when we got in the studio we just tried to fit in as many other things as possible one of my closest friends from childhood Jackie McDermott played piano on one of the songs P-Lander Red came and played bass on a bunch of the songs as well it's actually kind of a trip to like listen back to that record and just be like wow like a lot happened on here that i just like didn't remember but it all still feels like it should be there Mm
0: -hmm. was that around like shortly thereafter i imagine that was when you guys were getting a bit more publicity to the point where the like the lawsuit and whatnot (laughs) (laughs) yeah
1: um Man, it was funny. We had a lot of drama for a band that started from high school and not just like dumb, like, oh, we slept with the same girl drama, (laughs) like high school stuff. It was just like, because we chose the name Starscream, just like every older nerd that was involved with that name in some regard just got so mad at us while we were like gaining attention. The first was... DJ Starscream from Slipknot just, like, tweeting at us just like, yo, who are these posers? Like, who do they think they are? I'm the real Starscream. And we thought that one was gonna be a problem because, like, skrillex was his friend or like at least his internet friend so he was kind of like hyping him not about that but just like in general mm-hmm. was just like yo my friend sid wilson is on twitter like follow him we were just like dude are we gonna like lose the name because fucking skrillex but then we lost it for a much worse reason which is a rock band from philadelphia called starscream who spell it with a k they're still around they put out an album last year called weapons we george and i spent a bunch of time looking them up recently because we we're just like are they still around um <laughs> But they had their lawyer send us a cease and desist. And Nate's dad is actually like in entertainment law, specifically music. So we were just like, whatever, this is going to get handled, all this. But they had the name Starscream spelled with a K trademarked. And because we were another band like in the Northeast, who was also like rock-ish, they were just like, you can change your name to Starscream like NYC and you would have to pay us a $300 licensing fee. And we were just like, no, nah. <laughs> and um, I was talking to Nate about that recently and we were like we probably should have just done that but we were just like we'll just like name the band something new and start over in ways that was frustrating but in other ways it also just like made a lot of tonal sense because we had actually switched the software and stuff we were using um, I had gotten my first like real analog synthesizer for as like a Christmas present And I was mainly writing in a program called Milky Tracker instead of LSDJ. And Milky Tracker just has much more synthesis capability than LSDJ, but it also allowed samples. So I just had like, all of a sudden when I was writing in there, I was just like, I don't know if we can ever play these songs live because like as much as like together, because as much as I love the Starscream stuff, like it sounds really harsh going back to a pure 8-bit song right after this like thing that sounds much more lush.
0: Right. Yeah. You'd have to like almost remix your older material. To exactly. Make it
1: work. And a lot of people, not as much anymore, but definitely like used to be like, you should do like a new version of like X or Y Starscream song for the Infinity Shred set. And I was just like, no, I really like just like having only fond memories of that as a thing instead of like ruining it for myself going forward. Um, because, yeah, because well, I still love it.
0: Right. Well, one of the tracks, like Earth was originally a Starscream yeah, song,
1: wasn't and it? That made it? Yeah, that was a Starscream song that made it into a few lives, maybe only one live set for one of the 8-Bit Music Festivals. I think it was Blitz Festival 2008. We had opened with that. But yeah, that one, one day, I think we were just, Clara had come over to my place to this room we're in now and we were just like, she was working on her computer and I was just like, I guess I'm going to try to rewrite this one now because I've always liked it and felt like it needed to see like, A proper like composition
0: going back to that like sort of the the changeover to infinity shred i feel like there was also like a more of a solidification of like the visual aesthetics Mm -hmm. and like what could be cynically referred to as like the brand of the band (laughs) that i I, it's always been like pretty consistently like sci-fi themed Mm -hmm. and there's like the skateboarding aspect too i'm assuming you're pretty hands-on when it comes to that stuff so definitely Yeah,
1: actually, I would love to talk about our friend Asif Siddiqui. So he has done basically all of our cover art except for Forever a Fast Life since um, the Starscream days. Mm -hmm. Um, And even with Forever a Fast Life, he was like essentially like a shadow director on it, like telling us what we should do for the photographs. But he didn't really have the time to do his painting or drawing art. So we went photographic style for the whole thing. But yeah, I don't really I actually have this one experience, which can kind of explain why all of those things came together into one aesthetic and have always just kind of been consistently there. I was at dinner at my friend Jason Sherman's house. I was there with his brother, Eric, who's now passed away, but his dad, their dad, Mark, I was telling him about how I like have the Game Boy Band, you know, this was around the skins time. And he was just like, people pay to go see that like it was just like in disbelief about it but he kind of like i won't say he gave me shit but he gave me advice just saying like he was like oh well you should always put everything you love into one thing basically like i knew the shermans through skateboarding like they weren't really my music friends so like they weren't so in tune with it either but like when he said that i was just like he's right there's like no reason i shouldn't just like put all of the things I love into one project, Um, which is what opened up the skateboarding stuff being like a big aesthetic for um, Infinity Shred. And I was just like, I can make a sci-fi skate video if I want. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I feel like there's also a pretty big crossover of like, at least I'm not a skater, but from the outside looking in, I know that a lot of my friends that were into skating like found out about bands through skate videos and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So like there is a crossover between music and skate culture. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah. I... I think I was one of the outsiders on that front, though, where, like, and I f- think I found this a bit with um, certain instrument stuff, too, where um, I love skateboarding, like, I love playing music, but I didn't really always find excitement in watching others do it. Mm. And, like, with music, that's not talking about live shows, et cetera. That's talking about, like, I wasn't so interested in, like, learning how someone played something or, like, with skateboarding, seeing how someone did some trick. I was always just interested in, like, what I wanted to do with it. Right. Yeah. Um, So I kind of missed out hearing a lot of that music because I didn't really seek out skate videos as much, but I loved making them and I would seek out music that like to suggest for us to edit our videos to.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, And so then for the sci-fi stuff, like where, where does your interest in that come from? I
1: mean, Star Wars raised me. That was the apparently like as soon as i was shown that as a kid i just like there was no turning back Mm -hmm. and that was just always what my parents would put on the tv to like just leave me like (laughs) make me calm (laughs) hang out um so like definitely (laughs) i was um when i was just upstate with george his um nephew is living at his parents house up there with him right now and his nephew like took his mom's phone camera and was taking pictures of his action figures and i was just like this is Reminds me, I was looking through my family photos and I had like 35 millimeter prints that are pictures I took of like my Star Wars action figures, (laughs) like not doing anything particularly cool. I was just like, I want to take a picture. (laughs)
0: Right. Yeah. It's cool. Uh,
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So that was definitely the first big one. But in a lot of ways, like a lot of the early Infinity Shred stuff, the first EP and the first LP Sanctuary, just Nate and I became really close friends from both playing Mass Effect. Mm -hmm. Um, We were kind of sharing those discs back and forth and just like hit it off just like talking about like the deep emotional trenches that that game puts you through. And there's definitely like, I don't know how blatant the references are, they feel blatant to me, but even the name Sanctuary is a Mass Effect reference.
0: it's not so blatant that someone that like i i'm very much a casual when it comes to games these days so Mm -hmm. i went over my head at the very (laughs) least (laughs) cool cool (laughs) um is that something that you feel like self-conscious or that you consciously want to avoid being like pigeonholed as like a video game band um
1: the thing is like way more so during the starscream days because um a lot of to say just, like, uncreative journalists just would write up every... The the running joke in the ape scene was, the journalist is going to write up this show as Mario at a rave. Right. And that's what we're going to have to hear, even though, like, not everyone's making dance music, like, especially Starscream, at the end of Starscream, wasn't making dance music. Um, we just knew we were going to have to hear that. So we were self-conscious about it then. Like, people would ask, like, oh, what, what are your favorite Game Boy games? We'd be like, we don't do that. We just use it for our music. You know, like mm-hmm. we probably, we got a little annoying about it probably. But the truth is like, I always love video games. Their soundtracks were always very inspirational for me. I'm happy to lean into that now. I actually think one of the things I'm going to do for the new Infinity Shred EP is try to do a speed run of Dead Cells t- before the EP time runs out. <laughs> just like play <laughs> the whole EP and just try to do that. So I'm happy to lean into it. And Nate and I work really well together doing soundtrack stuff. And like, we would love to get into doing games eventually
0: yeah i mean because you dropped like that visualizer <laughs> slash like interactive <clears for the throat> side of the for the new ep um so it does seem like you kind of have like maybe we should
1: yeah sorry that's a. I i've built a bunch of nerd shit into my room since we've moved back in here and uh my shades are on a motor to go down after a sunset i see
0: <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> uh, so you, you're a pretty like techie resourceful guy then is that something that's like part of it, it generally part of your life?
1: <laughs> um, I would say above average, but by no means, like, actually smart about anything. Uh-huh. I would say my techie side leans more into something that I've always generally felt good about, which is that I've just stayed friends with a lot of people, like, regardless of how big of a relationship we've had in the past, and, like, I've always been able to find the right person for a project mm-hmm. when I have an idea <laughs> and I think not burn those bridges right. <laughs> after the project is complete.
0: Uh, does yeah. that also apply then to the the visualizer that we were just mentioning?
1: Yeah. So I was actually a bit hands off on that one, but um, definitely had input for the aesthetic. De- definitely Nate spearheaded taking that one on, but that was, um, this guy Ghost Dad, his name's Ryan. Um he had done a similar thing for a few other bands and we were like, that's really cool and he was really excited about doing it for us. Um definitely we were all leaning into the idea of wanting it it wanting to actually referring back to Ape music, the aesthetic um the ape scene came out of um the demo scene which was a bunch of people just basically pushing old computers, like, to see how impressive of graphics and sounds they could make from those Mm -hmm. old machines. So we wanted to lean into, like, the demo scene aesthetic for um, the visualizer, which is often just kind of, like, blurry, endless landscapes that just, like, make you feel like you're traveling forever. (laughs) Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's scroll back a bit through the timeline and catch up with the the new EP. Yeah. Um, So after Sanctuary, is that when Clara came on board?
1: Let's see. Sanctuary. Yeah. So George, after maybe a year year or two after we put out Sanctuary, um, decided to move to Berlin. Um, He wanted to go to music school out there. Went well. He's become an amazing producer since then. But we were still getting offers for shows and stuff. And it was hard for me to imagine working with someone new because I had to that point, only worked with George, basically. Mm -hmm. Like, Nate was an addition to that, but I had never worked with just Nate before then. Like, we always had George there. Nate had actually just, like, jokingly posted on Facebook, like, who wants to be our new drummer? And Clara first played drums, like, growing up, but she's mainly a classical percussionist until um, she joined Infinity Shred when she started taking, like, playing the drum kit more seriously again. Mm -hmm. And she had just responded to the Facebook post, like, down. And we were just like, wait, really? Like, because that would be sick. Mm -hmm. Um, So it just took off from there. Actually, it was like looking back, one of my like Facebook memories for like a few days ago was the first show she played with us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I think that was 2015.
0: And so as like after George left, did you change like the writing process at all? Was it still like... I guess I should ask, are you sort of the primary songwriter or is it a collaborative thing? And how has that changed over the years?
1: That's definitely changed. Um, So I would say EP one and sanctuary um, were very much my songs. Like I definitely did the majority of the writing for them and was mainly like thinking about leaving space for like Nate to do guitar things. Hmm. And sometimes he would send me a guitar idea and that would feed off on the songwriting. But I would say I was probably a bit more controlling about it back then and definitely wrote the majority of it um but then once Clara joined she didn't actually write so much on the first album she appears on long distance but she definitely like kind of changed our attitude towards approaching it um at the time Nate was working at uh shouted out loud so we had uh, access to a nice studio so just like after work every day we were just basically meeting up there and we had never really spent time like writing and working on things in a studio before usually what the studio meant to us in the past was like okay we don't have that much money so we're gonna record eight songs in one day and get this done so that we don't have to pay for a second studio day um but having just like that leisurely time to spend there definitely just changed how we approached the songwriting nate definitely got more involved in it a few of those songs on that album um including motive were just straight up started by him we were using this platform Splice a lot to send our Ableton files back and forth to one another. And that definitely changed things once that was available because it just made it so much easier to share.
0: And so how would you how would you describe like the change that happened? Was it just a matter of like the workflow or did the sound change? Like what was the shift that happened as the writing got more democratic?
1: Um, I would say I personally am very happy with how it's gone. Um, it just became the various elements just became more important so like as much as I love like everything that George used to play in the early Infinity Shred stuff like I can't say that like my songwriting alone gave him a lot of space for creativity and freedom whereas once everyone was putting in their own parts it just kind of felt like everything was more purposeful instead of just there to fill it out
0: Mm -hmm. yeah like the the rhythms I feel like got a lot more complex a lot more of the sort of like pseudo gent kind of stuff yeah
1: we we definitely became a more like yeah maybe was definitely borders on like the gent the new single Mm -hmm. but um we definitely just with the addition of clara became much more interested in like more challenging rhythms that just like didn't necessarily uh jive with george's playing style back then
0: (laughs) i i I was doing some research and like reading an old interview of yours where you said that you felt like long distance was maybe a bit all over the place style wise <laughs> and that you kind of had to put in a lot of work to make it all make sense is that still how you feel about it now
1: that is 100 percent how i feel about it um our friend chris alfieri he played guitar in vatnet viscar he was a big part of helping to write the songs on that album but i remember him saying to me like he was like i love this album it's like i think it's some of the best stuff you've ever done but i think one day you're gonna like look back at it and see it mainly as like a learning experience mm. more than you're going to like ever feel like it's this like one solid whole thing. And that's definitely how I view it. Like I think we were learning how to work together instead of just um, someone being like, okay, it's your turn to do your part for this.
0: Right. Yeah. How'd you get linked yeah. up with, uh, with Chris? Like how'd you become friends with him?
1: He, <laughs> let me get this right. So um, Luke from Ono Monoguchi, the drummer they had filmed a music video for their then new song meow he was wearing a Net viscar shirt in it chris had heard about like them being in it it was like what Gucci is sick um so he came out to our show together with anamonaguchi and infinity shred in boston and then like he heard infinity shred and was just like I just the next day, like, I had passed my number to him through Twitter DMs, and we were just, like, texting nonstop. Uh-huh. Just, like, he's just like, you guys are so sick. I was like, dude, I've been listening to so much Vatnet. Like, I can't believe you were there. Um Him and I just hit it off pretty quickly. So when we were doing long distance, brought him up to New York for a few days. Um I was at my living at my mom's place and um i went to go stay with my girlfriend because i was just like i don't really want to sleep on the couch but like you guys will be fine like you can stay in the room if you don't feel comfortable um and then the next day like i get home my mom was like chris is great we stayed up till like 3am watching the west wing and just like (laughs) talking politics stuff um so i just love that like i left this like tattooed like metalhead stranger in my house with my like mom who knows nothing about that and she was like yeah we got along we watched the west <laughs> That's so funny.
0: yeah i mean yeah. like you and vatnet i feel like do have some uh stylistic interests in common like they they were like during their black metal phase still very interested in like space exploration and yeah, sci-fi I, aesthetics mm-hmm. that
1: definitely came across in the last album they did as vatnet visker i think settler where like they have the like astronaut on the cover mm-hmm. and all that but even just from like The lyrics and the song titles, you can tell we were coming from similar places. But yeah, I was just like I think Chris was a really positive influence on Nate guitar wise because like, you know, early the first two Infinity Shred things, Nate never had to play anything super technically complicated on guitar. Um but then like when we started hanging out with um the Vatnet guys more and all that, like I think it inspired him a bit more to like write things that were more technically challenging and interesting for him to include. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And shortly thereafter, that's when the periphery guys find out about you and take you on tour, right? Yeah.
1: That was a funny set of circumstances. So, um, that must've been 2016 end of 2016. We got the periphery tour offer. So long distance had just come out, but they had found out about us from sanctuary the way Jake from periphery told me that he found out about our music was that he was just like taking a shower on tour had his like Spotify discover whatever thing running and then heard um, mapper come on and just like got out of the shower He was like this is sick what is this <laughs> like just got out of the shower naked to check his phone once we had put out the actual vinyl and started shipping it for long distance, then, like, all of a sudden, Misha from Periphery had, like, posted that he bought it, and I was just like, what's going on? Like, I had just learned who they were a few months ago, because I had finished playing the new Deus, the then-new Deus Ex game, Mankind Divided, uh-huh. and Misha did the end credits song, and I was just like, what is this, like, sci-fi, gent, like, end credits theme that's going on? This is sick. Um, and looked it up and then looked up periphery. I was like, Oh, this is cool. And then just to like rent, like unrelatedly be hit up by them three months later. It was just like, I feel like I just like summoned this. somehow.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like, what I don't, I can never remember the name of the, uh, like it's when something comes into your life and you suddenly just see it everywhere, you know, like you read about something yeah. like that, and then suddenly like you can't not see it in like the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: I think that's kind of what we felt like in general about metal with infinity shred though because um one of our favorite shows we played with um george still in the lineup was 2014 or 15 when horse the band were coming through new york and had just asked us to hop on and i was just like that's crazy they're asking us like i've been a big fan of them Mm -hmm. for a long time yeah and then the periphery tour offer in 2016 followed shortly by another like tour offer by horse the band so we were just like i guess we're like a metal band now <laughs> like that seems to be the people who are inviting us to play um so, so we definitely like i won't say we like we're like we have to lean into this but we're just like okay like we can like let that part loose now
0: mm-hmm. uh, do you still do you have you found that like the people that came into the band prior to the metal stuff have sort of stuck with you do you feel like there's a dividing line at all
1: yeah no i don't think there's really a dividing line i do think A handful of people who liked us because of 8-bit music weren't the biggest fans of long distance for whatever reason but I feel like what's actually surprised me the most is a lot of the people who found us because of like being on those metal tours or because of our like heavier songs that got playlisted and stuff like that actually vibe a lot with some of the softer but more rhythmically technical stuff Mm. which I wouldn't have expected because when we were going on The tour with Periphery was Periphery, Norma Jean, and The Contortionist, and we were just like, well, I guess we need to, like, play our heavier ones, or we're just gonna, like, seem like these fucking losers at the beginning of the bill, (laughs) and, like... And that felt especially true after the first night in Pennsylvania where, like, right after our set, someone just yelled, bring on Norma Jean! And we were just like, oh, my God, we're going to get our asses kicked on this tour. <laughs> um, luckily, that trend didn't continue and the shows got better and better. Um yeah but i we just found that like after that tour that um especially the one song I mentioned earlier that Nate wrote motive, which is like probably one of our like generally softer, chiller songs, but does have like really cool interesting like hip hop percussion stuff that Nate wrote, was one that a lot of those people latched onto, and I think like subconsciously, a lot of the electronic music that people who are mainly into like Genty rhythmic like metal stuff like is actually kind of like technical program percussion mm. electronic music
0: yeah there's kind of this interesting thing that happened like right around that same time of like synth wave blowing up and like metalheads fucking love that stuff
1: yeah and like which yeah i was all on board for that mm-hmm. like the synth wave music, like, not necessarily my favorite, but I was just like, I love that this is all these metal guys who, like, don't have bands anymore. Just, like, being like, well, I guess I'm going to do this now.
0: Right. And like, it's the same underlying chord progression as a lot of metal stuff. It's that, <laughs> like, uh, you know, it's the Edge of 17 chord progression, the dun, 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 sort of uh, six, seven, one which is like all over those old Iron Maiden records too. So Mm -hmm. it was like, oh, this makes a ton of sense that like metalheads would just like gravitate in the world of electronic music to that sort of stuff.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, to, To mark on the synthwave thing, I will say that there has kind of always been some coinciding thing that like we aren't by any means like stylistically against, but I think we always was, there was always something happening electronic music wise in parallel with what we were doing that uh, was the only point of reference that a lot of people had for our music that would often make them confused, Um, especially at the end of Starscream when, like, Skrillex-style EDM was blowing up and people were just like, they're electronic, but, like, I'm not having fun.
0: (laughs) 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 Right. Yeah, you guys kind of do exist outside of a lot of trends but are close enough to like you're right like people have these points of reference that get Mm -hmm. some of the right idea but don't actually describe what you're doing at all
1: yeah we played um at hampshire's hampshire halloween party one year for starscream which is just like their big thing like m83 was supposed to play it that year um but when we got there we realized like we had been booked for like the electronic music tent and not like the rock band tent that a lot of like our friends bands had actually been booked to play. Mm. And this girl came up to us during the set, just like with her iPod in my face, just like put this on. <laughs> and I was just like, and like, I didn't understand what was happening until like a few hours after I was like, Oh, no one knew what we were doing. Like no one understands. We were like a band and not just like a DJ electronic thing that had a drummer right. tonight. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Huh. I'm pretty sure it was a Sean Paul song on her iPod.
0: <laughs> I think that would be an interesting cover, but <laughs> I mean,
1: what? It is definitely a big regret that I didn't just take the iPod and put it on and like see how George reacted <laughs> to that. But yeah, that one definitely baffled my mind during it. I was just like, I don't know what's happening here. Like what? what?
0: <laughs> so after that tour with Periphery, because the most recent EP is coming out on Three Dot, so mm-hmm. was correct me if I'm wrong, but was the last album also a three-dot thing?
1: Yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so basically, um, after that tour, we just got super close with them. Um, at least I really did with Jake, with Jake Bowen. And uh, I had talked to him, and he was just like, yeah, for our next album, we're going to be, like, starting our own label. And I was like, cool, like, do, should we do you want to do ours also? Are you signing, like, non-directly periphery-related things? Um, and Jake's has definitely been, like, a big champion for us. He's pushed really hard for us in a lot of ways, like, in his communities and just, like, outwardly. But, yeah, I got to work with them on it, and it's been really fun. Um, it's really interesting seeing, like, what machines they are and just, like, how... They just, like, have it locked in. They yeah. just really know how to, like, work their crowd, whether it's live or online. And it's just, like... it's almost It's really intimidating, honestly, just, like, how perfected they have it um, yeah
0: i've always been blown away by like all of the like side businesses that like had, they've had that expand out of periphery like all of the like digital instruments and lessons and mm-hmm. all the sort of shit that they've yeah
1: put. yeah and they just like live and breathe it like i could like i think a lot of people have tried to emulate it and it's disingenuous but they like truly just live and breathe it like they most of them just can't go a day without doing some kind of productive music thing. Mm -hmm.
0: Is that like something that have you tried to like pick up elements of what they do and apply it to infinity shred at all? I would say
1: less so pick up like elements of it directly, but it's definitely like been inspiring as far as just like work ethic. Mm -hmm. Like they kind of proved to me, like what the amount of effort it really takes to even be a band, like, you know, like to me, they are huge, but like in the world, periphery is not like the world's biggest band right um but they proved to me like how much effort it takes to be a band even their size and sustain that and definitely in ways i was just it made me question like oh maybe this is a thing i want to do more just for fun than i like ever want to like put in that much effort (coughs) (laughs) and like have to live off of it but i certainly admire the amount of effort that they put into it and they certainly have people who admire the hell out of them for it
0: (laughs) Uh, so I, I'm I'm noticing this other change that kind of happens around Forever a Fast Life. You you mentioned that it like is the switch to photography for the cover, and it seems like the aesthetics from there and onto the new EP as well are kind of moving into this like warmer, more naturalistic <laughs> aesthetic. What's your what's your approach and reasoning behind that? Like why why do you see yourself moving that way?
1: I can't say there's any one thing that did it, but I think that might just be something. It might just be more of what like the current lineup of Infinity had more had in common mm. versus when the earlier albums where I was kind of just like driving the aesthetic, like George and Nate didn't really have input on the art. I was just talking to Asif. But Forever A Fast Life was probably the first one where everyone was involved in every single step of the process. We actually did this whole fun process for the art with Forever A Fast Life where um, we made a Google Drive folder. Everyone in the band, plus the two friends that we hired, Esther Kim and Dean Marshall, to be like the art directors for the album, and Asif as well, had to put in like a collection of 10 images without any explanation of just like, that were just like meaningful to you, whether they're personal or something you had just seen that you thought looked cool. And we just kind of like whittled those down to find the commonalities and use that as the jumping point for the art.
0: So how much do you try and like, I'm assuming the music comes first, but do you find yourself like trying to replicate certain themes or visual concepts into the music? Like, do you see them having some sort of like feedback loop at all?
1: I would say that was actually maybe more true in the earlier infinity shred stuff. And as I've, cause a lot of early infinity shred stuff, I'd be like, you know what? That's a cool word. I'm going to name whatever song I start writing next that. Mm-hmm. Um, and since I've started just like focusing on just like l- I've, say I'm almost like less aesthetically driven now and just like wanted to focus on the songwriting and have almost struggled with tying an aesthetic to things which is what created the process for the album I just talked about where like we had to like put all this stuff into a pot and like take out what we all put in to just like whittle it down um yeah I would say that's actually a thing I've struggled with more is like figuring out what I want the aesthetic to be as I've tried to just like make my role just songwriting instead of having to like be more involved in all the visual elements
0: as well Mm -hmm. how do you feel about forever a fast life looking back on it now that you've got some separation from it
1: i love it um there are definitely things i feel like um i feel like it's really nerdy i feel like some of it like not drags on but it's just like the songs are there are some sections that probably go a little longer than i like would if i was um if i heard it now and like was going to do a harsh edit of everything um i think it's really like technically like beautiful and good still but i am much more excited about this forthcoming ep because i don't know if you've heard about this but apparently like with musicians just like um they have the fondest memories of the songs they wrote the fastest <laughs> or like the ones that came together quicker yeah. and for Forever A Fast Life took a really long time to get done, not for any one particular reason. The songwriting actually happened incredibly fast, but then we just like sat on it and just like kept tweaking little things needlessly for a really long time. So it's not that I actually dislike any of the songs, it's just that like my memories of creating it are not as fun as basically any other of the albums we've done. And I'd rather think about things where I had a good time.
0: (laughs) And so I'm, I'm picking up then that recovery came together pretty quickly.
1: Yeah. So recovery was almost like a distraction from finishing the album (laughs) because we wrote it in the, we wrote it in the middle of doing forever. A fast life. That's so Um, funny. (laughs)
0: Like,
1: yeah. And it's, and it's just very focused because it happened very quickly. Um, actually, the title track, Recovery, um, is another unfinished Starscream idea that I revived into an Infinity Shred idea. But yeah, it was definitely like a distraction. We were all just like, we don't know if we're ever going to get this album done. But we wrote these other five songs. Like, let's record that. We So it's been recorded and basically done for a long time now. But once 3Dot picked us up, they were like, we want to do a full album before an EP. Mm-hmm. So we prioritized getting the album like done done before the EP was going to be out. So
0: were they recorded simultaneously or did you finish one and start working on the other?
1: Yeah. We finished the EP before. Wow. Um It, yeah, oh. it actually got remastered cause um, Nate and Brett from Astronoid had done like a master pass on it. But then after Magnus um, from Cult of Luna, he had mastered Forever a Fast Life and we all loved how that sounded so much. So we just like got, the EP remastered by him.
0: Yeah, because I was gonna say, like, the the clarity of like the kicks and like guitars on Recovery feel like they hit way harder than on Forever. Like it's like a much like thicker record when it's thick, but it's also much airier when it is airier. Yeah.
1: It was also just our ideal of recording experience versus like, you know, Forever Fast Life was many days Luckily, we had that studio access through Nate's work. But for recovery, we just went up to Nate's parents' house near the Hudson Valley and um, just like cleared out the living room. Like this is while his parents were away on a vacation, Um, set up the drum kit and just like Brett from Astronoid came and just like with his mobile recording rig. And we just like over a weekend just recorded in this like really beautiful home with like a nice view outside while it was snowing. I actually had no recording to do. I was kind of just there as like, band mom. Um, Chris Alfieri from Vatna came also. And I remember there's this one part where like, Nate and Brett were like super focused, recording Clara doing her drums. And like, Chris and I went out to the hot tub while it was snowing and we're just like drinking wine. <laughs> <laughs> and just like checking in like, you guys need anything?
0: <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Um, Yeah,
1: um, the drum kit was facing like out this like beautiful, expansive window area. And I just like came up in my like swimsuit, like holding a glass of wine in the snow, just like freezing to death, just like waving at them recording.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I saw the pictures of the recording setup that you had. It reminded me a lot of like the Tom Sawyer video, like the Rush music video, like similar kind of vibes.
1: (laughs) But if anything, like that would, that's honestly probably how we would want to record any whatever we do next Mm -hmm. because it's so much more fun it's done so much quicker and um you're just like more in a headspace where you're just like let's get this turned around and just get it done instead of harping on it forever and like questioning our choices
0: (laughs) so how did you know that this material was like not part of forever and was its own separate thing
1: it all so recovery the title track we were actually playing on the um Periphery tour, the Periphery and Horse of the Band's tours, because we thought we were going to have that as like a short, quick EP-like thing (laughs) that would follow up, um, or just like even a single release right after those tours to try to like just keep momentum. But I would say I actually had like a bunch of just like kind of rapid life changes after those tours where um, I had quit my like job of three and a half years to go on those tours, Um, I had also like ended a seven-year relationship like shortly before those tours so when I got home after all that touring I was kind of just like I don't have a job I don't have a girlfriend I don't really know what to do with my time Um, and just like I won't say like I definitely didn't hit a creative wall I was but I was definitely like more like slumpy sad Mm -hmm. at that time and just kind of this material just like all happened really quickly Um, so the first two songs on the album the monitor which is put into like two parts like that all just happened all at once um and right away like when i was finishing it i was just like oh i hear the chords like from recovery that other song we had just like can come out of this beautifully Mm -hmm. um was the first single we put out was actually just like this weird arpeggio that just like clara had written um and nate and i kind of just like ran with it we didn't know if it was actually like what she envisioned for the song but we were like sorry we wrote like a whole song in two days over your arpeggio (laughs) um yeah so it all and then um is the like transition yeah is the transitional track just kind of was more of was kind of like a self illusory thing to like the transitions that we did on both forever fast life and long distance Mm -hmm. yeah so that was kind of the only one that didn't come out of just like pure emotion that one was kind of just like a technical thing we wanted to throw in to like just give some like breathing room to the ep and it like sets
0: up a lot of the melodic themes that come in and was
1: exactly yeah Yeah. um what was funny about that is was was goes like four four five four 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 it repeats that the whole time but is like is the same melodies but to just four four the whole time Mm -hmm. um and it's like, I was just like, I wonder if people are going to notice that it's like slightly different when it goes into the other song. But I feel like it ended up being just like so smooth that you like don't actually notice the weird timing thing until you're trying to like be technical about was
0: <laughs> right. Like I, you can when I first listened to was, I was like, oh, there's definitely something slightly off kilter here. But it th- the fact that like the percussion doesn't kick in until deeper into the track will kind of like let you. Not notice the question yourself. Yeah. yeah, you're. You know, I was looking over the press release and description of the EP, and there's this kind of like mm-hmm. theme of like overcoming <laughs> self hatred and learning yeah. to accept yourself. How do you? How do how do you um, tell that story in music? Like, how do you take an idea like that and explain it through instrumental music?
1: Huh. I've always. I know, I mean I will straight up say like a lot of the my songs that I've written in the past like, you know, don't really have a meaning. It was just like they happened and I didn't try to imbue anything into them. But I think especially with um instrumental music, what you're writing is so much more a reflection of what you are currently going through than a lot of other music with lyrics where like, you know, you might be like normally like a kind of like upbeat punkish band And like, if you're really sad, all of a sudden you're, you might question like, oh, is anyone going to care if I like have sad lyrics all of a sudden, like you might like feel like you can't do that. But with instrumental music, it's kind of just like, this is what I wrote because I felt like this (laughs) and now it exists. What were the things that happened around that time though um started using tinder so was just you know had had the great experience of getting to question myself on that front my sister was being a really good positive influence by forcing me to go to soul cycle with her mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and i remember during the first 10 minutes just being like this sucks like i kind of hate it um but then just like in ten ten 10 minutes into the first class just being like Like, my spirits are, like, so broken by this that I have no choice but to love it (laughs) and, like, just embrace everything that is happening in this room and, like, go along with all the women going, woo, like, to the instructor. I have the added benefit of that I do love, like, corny, big room trance music and, like from my office job at Adafruit had started listening to a lot of like trance podcasts Uh just like radio show things Um, and I was just like yeah I like this music fuck it like I'm gonna let go I'm gonna enjoy this and it was definitely like it was definitely a helpful experience at the time but like that was actually part of what inspired the press release where I was just like there's a lot of like this weird false positivity in there and like in those kinds of classes that like definitely helps you through momentary things but I think it's like kind of hollow and may not be like super helpful long term unless you find your own ways to actually deal with those right, things right. and I feel like that's what I ultimately like took like found through working on this EP like was I had that like hollow bit of positivity to like jump start it and then like was able to find what I needed mm-hmm. after that.
0: Yeah. It's, it's arriving, I think at a time that like, obviously you could never have intended to release a record called recovery in the middle of a pandemic, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I imagine you've been getting a lot of questions about that. We haven't actually gotten that many questions
1: about it, but the original title for it was disaster. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Probably a bit too on the nose, I guess
1: <laughs> for right now, but yeah, um, But actually, I would say that is a good example of, like, what, like, the kind of um, attitude shift I had while putting the EP together was, like, Disaster felt like a really fitting name. That's what we were calling the song on the tours we were on playing it live. But then I realized, like, no, you know what? Like, this song ends really positively and leads to, like, this next things that are all just, like, not even angry. They're just kind of like, fuck, yeah, like, (laughs) just good energy Um, And I was just like, no, like I want to kind of like flip the vibe of that name and like make it about like healing instead of like destruction. Mm -hmm.
0: Do you feel, I mean, how do you feel about the the context that this record arrives in? Like, do you think it's like, how do you think it interacts with the fact that, you know, you can't go out and play shows and there's no (laughs) touring and all that sort of stuff?
1: It's a bummer because this would probably be our most fun material to actually like play together as like. a a band Mm -hmm. but i'm fine with it because like i like doing tours but i hate playing single one-off shows like i just get all this stress and then it's over (laughs) right like just that one night happens and then it's over um at least on a tour you get to get better and better every night or like have your really good nights have your really bad nights etc um also sort of like your
0: soul cycle point like tour breaks you (laughs) until you learn to yeah, love it ex-
1: you know exactly exactly <laughs> that's a perfect way to use that analogy um what was I going to say I'm I'm not a homebody but I definitely like being invested in my home as a thing and I hope that's a thing that a lot of other people have come to learn in this last year and I think we definitely like leaned into that for the art yes. and aesthetic for it yeah. um because when I talked to Asif about the art I was like basically the only comfort I have had during this time is that I'm being like the meal giver for my girlfriend like I am the provider like cooking and cooking videos have been like my biggest comfort. Mm. So like we we're going we wanted knew we wanted to lean in onto the food thing, but the way that I think the aesthetic for the art really came tied together was that um we encouraged Asif to use the like uh character that my friend Coco played on the uh forever fast life cover to just basically draw her into this new world Mm
0: -hmm. yeah i was gonna say like the the forever fast life stuff do you feel like death stranding kind of bit your stees a bit (laughs) uh
1: i don't feel like that but what i do feel like with death stranding was how did he know (laughs) (laughs) um just like, looking back on everything, it's just, like, how did he know that we were all going to be, like, so separated and reliant on Amazon couriers <laughs> and, like, other <laughs> weird subcontracted delivery men? Mm-hmm. Just, like, it's just it's yeah, it's – one day I will finish that game, but I have not <laughs> been I, able to do that yet.
0: <laughs> I mean, he called it with memes and, like, the internet and, like, Twitter culture with Metal Gear Solid 2. So, the guy is clearly – Yeah, some kind of profit well (laughs) Um, speaking of things that are coming down the pipe prophetic visions whatever you want to call it (laughs) what what is infinity shred looking to do going forward now
1: i think with this finally like getting out there we are collectively hitting like hitting our collective headspace where we are once again excited to like work together um i think with this having had like sat around for so long we kind of just were like we don't really want to work on more until this is out. Cause we don't want to like sit on more things forever and like feel stale about them. Um, not that we feel stale about this EP at all, but just like the longer you sit with a thing, the harder it is to convince yourself that like it is worth releasing. Hmm. So I think with that getting out there, we are finally excited to just like start writing together again.
0: <laughs> Have you been working yeah. on stuff by yourself or what, what's your creative um, life? Bag? I've
1: definitely, I've, been working on stuff for the new project i mentioned that i'm starting with george but i haven't started much infinity shred stuff basically right before the pandemic my like desktop computer and audio interface had died so i just like didn't have my normal tools that i'm used to for writing infinity shred music um but now that like my girlfriend and i have moved back into, like, my mom's place, and, like, I've had access to all my stuff again, built a new computer. I'm just, like, getting all my tools together again and getting ready to, like, take on those challenges again. Mm -hmm. Um, So no explicit, like, material ready, but, you know, sometimes things just, like, EP2 just happened, right? Like, we wrote that really quickly. So, like, the lack of, like, what's next not already being on the table doesn't really scare me the way it, like, maybe would have a few years ago.
0: (laughs) Well, th- this has been great. Um, I don't have too much else to to throw your way. This has been an awesome conversation. I'm excited yeah. for the EP to come out because at the time of this recording, it's currently not out yet. And yeah, uh, I'm excited for you to be able to play shows again once that's safe and doable. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah,
1: we um, to take advantage of it, we will have a live from home video of monitor coming out, which I'm very excited about. We all took a turn, um, just passing around the light panels that we use live Mm -hmm. to just like use them with synced lighting in our bedrooms. So like, we've just kind of like leaned in on like the trend of all these bands, like just like recording home from their bedrooms, but just like produced it a bit more with like what we're already used, like the effort we're already used to putting in for our live show.
0: Awesome. Yeah, that's great. I can't wait to see that. Um, yeah, thank you so much for, for talking today. This is awesome.
1: Of course. Good to talk to you, Ian.
0: All right. Thank you again for listening. And thank you, Damon, for joining me. You can find Infinity Shred's music on Bandcamp at infinityshred.bandcamp.com. If you like this episode, please leave a positive rating and review or tell a friend about it. Also, if you've made it this far, I'd like to tell you about an album of my own called You Can't Do This Alone, available for pre-order at lambdaforms.bandcamp.com. I'll have more to say about this album soon. Until next time.